Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're happy to say that we're back for our fall season. But first, Jim, how was your summer? Well, first, I have to comment that it's delightful hearing your new puppy making noise in the background. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it was really great, Richard. Great summer. Lots of the stuff I like to do. A lot of hiking, canoeing, biking, spending a lot of time with family. And I just got back from a long weekend of nonstop music making. So, yeah, it's been great. And, and my dog is continuing to play with his toy in the background. Uh, for, for me, it's been family, swimming, boating, and training our two eccentric dogs to get along with one another. You might say they're polarized. Oh, good transition. Yes, today, Richard, we're going to hear more about polarization. And we're going to listen in on a lively discussion between Rick Pildes and longtime friend of the podcast, Lee Drutman. It's an argument that compares recent events in Europe to threats to democracy in the U.S. This fragmentation you see in Western Europe of politics is both a sign of the inability of governments to deliver what people seem to want, but perversely, it makes it that much harder at the same time for those governments to do that because power is now so dispersed when you, you know, write in your article that uh, you know, 30 new parties have formed in European parliaments from 2015 to 2017, I say, well, maybe that's a good thing because maybe some of the old parties were not connecting with voters or representing voters' concerns. And maybe a certain amount of churn in the political party space is actually a sign of the health of the party system. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? We're just about to begin a special season here on How Do We Fix It, all about political and social polarization. And our series is made possible with the help of our friends at Solutions Journalism Network. Yeah, they're a wonderful group that trains journalists to focus on what the news so often misses, how people are trying to solve problems, and what we can learn from their successes and failures. We have more about them on our show page at howdowefixit.me. Today's episode is a shared show from the podcast Politics in Question, and it's a lively argument between co-host Lee Drutman, a research fellow at New America, and constitutional law professor Rick Pildes. 
Lee was a guest on our show a couple of times. Uh, the first time he talked about his book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. Lee made the case for PR, proportional representation, also known as ranked choice voting, where voters rank the candidates in order of preference, allowing them to make more than one choice when they vote. He blames Republican and Democratic parties' dominance of politics for much of what's wrong with Congress and our democracy. This year, constitutional law professor Rick Pildes wrote a law review article that argued that fragmentation is the biggest reason why Western democracies have been weakened in recent years. So is it polarization or fragmentation that's the biggest cause of our political woes? In this edited recording from the Politics in Question podcast, we hear from them both. First, Rick Pildes outlines his case. My perception is that the sort of structure and organization of political power now in democracies across the West um, is very different than what it was 20, 30 years ago, in part because of the communications revolution and because of a variety of stresses and issues that are now dominating politics. Uh, and what's different is uh, that political power is, is dispersed across many political parties now in the PR systems of Europe in a way it wasn't before. It's dispersed outside the parties to you know, lots of uh, individual actors, various groups. It's much easier to mobilize significant political power uh, quickly, almost spontaneously. Unorganized groups, uh, whether it's the, the Yellow Vest in France, the Indignados in Spain, uh, and the like can, can be marshaled very effectively to oppose political power. And more concretely, in the democracies of Western Europe, the most visible manifestation of this is the way in which the structure of government, the structure of political party competition is fundamentally different now than it has been since World War II in these democracies. And I think very similar forces are taking place in the U.S., but they get expressed differently. And the way it gets expressed in Western Europe is since World War II, most of these governments essentially functioned as what was called two and a half party systems. There was a dominant center right party, a dominant center left party. Sometimes uh, one of those was able to, to win a majority in the government, in the parliament. Sometimes they needed a smaller party to make a majority, to form a government. But it produced you know, fairly stable politics, fairly central, more centrist you know, kind of politics, uh, continuous governments, and that's completely collapsed. And this has happened over the last decade or so, roughly, uh, slightly different pace in, you know, in different countries. But most of these countries are now five or six party democracies. Uh, and there are large economic you know, disaffections that are driving this. There are large cultural conflicts that are driving this. And I also think the communications revolution plays a major role. But to just make it concrete, some of the manifestations of this fragmentation of politics in Europe are that, uh, number one, it can take much longer to form governments in the first place in PR democracies. So Germany, for example, which was you know long thought after the, the new post-World War II German system got sort of established, you know, long thought to be probably the most stable democracy in Western Europe. Uh, after the 2017 elections, it took them longer than it had ever taken in German history to form a government because the, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, you know, which between them used to get 90% of the vote, 
uh, no longer would even get 50% of the vote between them. They have to split power with these smaller parties, the Green Party, the Liberal Party, or the Free Democrats, or depending on how you translate it. The AFD, which they don't want to share power with, but which you know is the far-right party, the anti-immigration party, that has a significant seat at the table now, or at least a significant number of seats in government. So one manifestation is it's it's taking a lot longer to even form governments in some of these uh, in a number of these countries. A second manifestation is the governments are much less stable because the coalitions that have to be cobbled together across five or six parties are frequently somewhat incoherent coalitions. Spain, for example, had to have four national elections between 2015 and 2019 just to try to find a government uh, to actually form a stable majority. Voters are much less clear what they're voting for in terms of what coalition will end up getting put together to, to run the government. There's obviously tremendous dissatisfaction with government in Western Europe, as there is in the United States. All of these democracies are now experiencing you know, extremely high levels of citizen alienation, frustration, distrust. And this fragmentation you see in Western Europe of politics is both a sign of the inability of governments to deliver what people seem to want, but perversely, it makes it that much harder at the same time for those governments to do that because power is now so dispersed and it's become incredibly easy to mobilize opposition to government. Now in the US, because we have a first past the post election system, all of those forces are still present. I think many of the same economic issues, many of the same cultural issues, uh, are all present here, but the fragmentation gets expressed more within the two-party system. And so you see, in my view, both hyper-polarized political parties, which we're very aware of, uh, but what I think people are less aware of is the internal factionalization in the parties in a form that makes it harder, even with unified government, for one party to actually deliver effectively on the issues that uh, many citizens care most urgently about. So just one last point, I'm sorry if I'm going on too long, you should interrupt me whenever you want. But, you know, it's really extraordinary if we think about the Republican Party, they basically devoured two of their own speakers of the House in recent years. You know, John Boehner was forced out. Paul Ryan gave up the ship because it, the Republican caucus was ungovernable. We can talk about the Democratic Party, which may not be in as severe a position with these internal fissures, but certainly deeply internally divided. But, but anyway, that's sort of the way I generally see the predicament of democracies in our era. The disaffection leading to the rise of all sorts of new forces, new parties, new organizations that make it all that much harder for democratic governments to actually function and deliver. I think we do not focus enough attention in political reform discussions and academic theory on democracy on the central value of delivering effective government. I think it's incredibly dangerous for democracies when many citizens perceive their governments not to be able not to be delivering effectively. And, you know, Joe Biden has defined his historical role at this moment as exactly this, proving democracies can once again deliver effective government. Rick Pildes making the case that Western democracies, including the United States, have become more dysfunctional, largely because of fragmentation. Okay, here's the response from Lee Drutman. 
He argues that polarization is made worse by our two-party system. Here's Lee responding to Rick's argument, then we'll hear from both of them again. Agree with you, Rick, uh, very much that we've taken a very individualistic view of political, of democracy reform in the U.S., and we don't think enough about organized power and the effectiveness of, of government. You've brought up this question of stresses on democracies, both uh, you know in the U.S. And, and in Western Europe. And I, I think it's exactly right that there are a, a, a lot of stresses on democracy. A lot of this comes out of the financial crisis and the aftermath of that. It comes out of the stresses that immigration is putting on many Western European democracies and a sort of broader urban-rural divide between the, the cities where there seems to be a thriving cosmopolitan economy and the periphery where I think a lot of <coughs> folks feel like they're being left behind. So I, I grant all that as well as the changes in social media and information. Now, the question that I have is thinking about what kinds of political and party systems are most able to manage these stresses. Now, when when you, you know, write in your article that uh, you know, 30 new parties have formed in European parliaments from 2015 to 2017, I say, well, maybe that's a good thing because maybe some of the old parties were not connecting with voters or representing voters' concerns and maybe a certain amount of churn in the political party space is actually a sign of the health of the party system. There's tremendous dissatisfaction uh, with the party system in the U.S., but the most striking aspect of the 2022 election is that nothing changed. There was one incumbent governor who lost, not a single incumbent senator lost, only seven incumbent House members lost. So there's this incredible stability amidst dissatisfaction, whereas in the European system, I think there's tremendous variation across Western European countries uh, in the party system and the extent to which they, you know, there's dissatisfaction. And my sense is that the proportional countries are managing to uh, kind of ride out these challenges a little bit better, in part because the two-party system, as is the case in the U.S. and the U.K., is really amplifying these urban versus rural uh, divides because of the way that geography is layered on top of partisanship so strongly, whereas in the European proportional countries, there's parties of the right that represent the cities and there's parties of the left that represent some of the more peripheral areas. And so the, the fact that the coalitions are shifting is actually a sign that politics is responsive. It cuts against the effect of polarization in the U.S. where people have the same enemies on issue after issue, on election after election, whereas in countries in which coalitions shift, uh, voters tend to see more parties favorably because their party has been in coalition with different parties. And actually, there's some pretty compelling evidence that shifting coalitions is uh, uh, essential for reducing effective polarization. And that effective polarization, I think, fuels extremism because when you see one party uh, as the enemy, you start to really demonize that party and that undermines compromise and that undermines moderation. And so in that sense, the, the extremism that I think we see in the U.S. is really a, a, a product of this 
binary party system that creates these fearsome stakes in every election. So it may be true that you get more representation in this fragmented world in a PR system that allows you to have six political parties that are, you know, have significant representation. Um, and it may be that more people feel represented in that structure. But for me, the priority value that we need to pay much more attention to, as we've already discussed, is are these governments going to be able to deliver effective government? And it, you know, it's a little harder to see that in a way because it's not sort of an immediate tangible thing like seeing a Green Party or a Christian Nationalist Party uh, or you know, a, a free market libertarian party in government. But we all know we have become much more aware uh, of the risks when lots of citizens feel these governments aren't delivering. And I think that risk is a tremendous concern that we need to really give great priority to in our in our particular moment. We all or most of us are, are, you know, incredibly frustrated by the toxic tribal nature of political culture in the United States these days and the desire to find a sort of a silver bullet that would, you know, somehow get us out of the structure. Um, I do believe institutional design can make a difference, you know, in terms of the incentives it gives to politics, but or to politicians. But I am also skeptical uh, of, of putting on the first past the post system, the responsibility for the kind of toxic tribal effective polarization that now characterizes the US. You know, after all, you know, the UK, which you've mentioned is also a first past the post system. That system, you know, for decades was described as a, a one of, of consensual kind of moderate, pragmatic kind of politics that characterized the UK. Um, it's true that with Brexit, you know, the country was, you know, kind of torn apart. That wasn't effective polarization between the parties. I mean, both parties were internally riven over Brexit, but it's that's an existential issue. It's the kind of issue that countries don't face that often. Um, and it's understandable that you would have huge divides over an issue of political identity like Brexit. You know, as Brexit seems to be kind of being put behind the UK, especially more recently, you see both of the political parties there have moved towards more pragmatic, technocratic, kind of more centrist figures, both with, uh, you know, Sunak in the Conservative Party and um, Keir Starmer in the Labour Party. Um, and you don't see anything like the effective polarization uh, in the UK politics, whatever it's, you know, conflicts that you see in the United States. Constitutional law professor Rick Pildes, he says, don't place most of the blame for polarization on America's two-party system. We'll have more of their discussion from Politics in Question coming up. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. The podcast Politics in Question is a member of the Democracy Group Network, and we are too here at How Do We Fix It? We've shared several episodes during the summer from the Democracy Group. You can find all of the network's podcasts and what they're doing to make democracy better at democracygroup.org. We'll have a link to Politics in Question as well on our show page. Now, more from Rick Pildes, who says he's skeptical about proposals to reduce the power of the two-party system. My concern about the remedy is that um, if we have five or six parties in the United States, if we were to adopt, you know, Lee's proposal for, uh, and it's not just Lee, other people are, you know, very supportive of this idea, uh, for Congress, Congress changing the statute, allowing states to have multi-member districts, um, ideally each would elect five people to Congress. So a state like Michigan, which has 14 representatives, you'd have a five-person district, a five-person district, a four-person district. So in these five-person districts, presumably you'd have 10 or more candidates running in the general election. And not only would we go to multi-member districts, but to make the system work, since almost half the states don't even have five representatives, we'd have to increase the size of the House, which is part of the proposal for shifting to PR in the U.S., so we have to imagine a, something like a 700-person house with six political parties, each of the major parties fragmented into you know, maybe three smaller units. And I am just deeply concerned, uh, given what we've seen with the fragmentation of politics in Europe, given the importance of government showing it can actually deliver policy on the issues that citizens view as most urgent, most pressing, I find it not easy to imagine why government would do that more effectively with six political parties in a 700 member house, as difficult as it is now with a two party system. And let me just say this, I think I'll stop here, but this is the last point. There is much more room within the two party system in the US for dramatic pressures from within and for outside pressures to be channeled uh, by entrepreneurial candidates who do actually shift the parties over significantly. I mean, after all, you know, Donald Trump remade the Republican Party in an incredibly profound way. Uh, he completely changed central features of the ideology of the Republican Party, whether it was uh, his commitment to not touching Social Security and Medicare, whether it was his move against free trade and towards more protectionist policies, whether it was his stance on immigration. I mean, we've seen the Republican Party, for better or worse, transform dramatically. Uh, within this two-party structure. Uh, and we've seen the Democrats uh, move very significantly you know, to the left as a result of internal pressure from the progressive voters and wing of the par wings of the party. So I just don't think it's right to, to describe the, the U.S. first-past-the-post system as so stagnant in that way. My view is it's better to channel these kinds of forces within a two-party structure because whatever the differences between different factions in a party, they still have a common interest in the party's success. I mean, they may not, some may hold that more strongly than others, but you know, fundamentally they're still on the same team in some sense, and that can force compromise 
uh, and acceptance of, of some differences in the service of the larger you know, team's agenda or electoral prospects. You take those, those fissures and you locate them in a bunch of different parties, each of which now has its own electoral incentives, its own desire to maximize the party's number of seats in the Congress, party leaders who are looking to advance their own you know, kind of careers. Uh, and I'm just very concerned that in our disaffection with this, you know, un, really unhealthy, toxic political culture, we're grasping for silver bullets that could actually make the situation worse rather than better. And political, there are political reforms in the past that people have thought would be, you know, wonderful advances for democracy that have actually made the democratic system worse. So I think, you know, I'm I'm careful about jumping on reform bandwagons too quickly, without the advantages and disadvantages of proposals being really thoroughly ventilated and thought about. So when I think about government effectiveness, I, I have in front of me a democracy index of the Economist Intelligence Unit, which ranks uh, countries on a number of characteristics, including their government effectiveness. And I'm going to read down the list one through nine. Norway, number one, PR country. New Zealand, number two, PR country. Iceland, number three, PR country. Oh, come on. Sweden number. Uh, you give me Iceland, New Zealand, Sweden. Okay, Sweden, go ahead. Uh, Finland, Denmark, Switzerland, Ireland, Netherlands. Right. I mean, so whereas whereas you get down to number thirty one at the U.S., uh, U.K. is kind of in the middle. And so, I, I mean, I th I think a lot of these these European countries are performing quite well. Now, we could argue whether it's something else about the countries that has nothing to do with the voting system and. You know, I, I, I'm, I am an evangelist for PR, but I'm not a silver bullet evangelist. I think there's a lot of other things going on that are separate from the, the system. And one, one of those things is, of course, the challenges of multi-ethnic, multiracial democracy in the U.S., which is somewhat distinct from the U.K., which is still a pretty homogenous society, although certainly becoming more diverse. And it seems to me that- And pretty distinct from all those countries you just listed, of course, in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, a, lot of the, a lot of those European countries are also pretty ethnically homogenous, although also becoming more diverse. So, I mean, diversity uh, is, a, is certainly a challenge to managing a, a democracy. But I, I do think that one reason why we should take PR seriously actually has to do with this question of diversity of multi-ethnic, multi-racial democracy, which is that a majoritarian system is very oriented towards a winner-take-all mentality. And given the diversity of our political system, or of, our, of our polity, and the fact that one party, the Republican Party, has you know, really become very dominantly white, although it is diversifying a little bit, and the Democratic Party has always been the, the overwhelming party of black voters and is a much more diverse party, the fact that you have this binary party system layered on top of all of these racial and ethnic identities, on top of all this urban versus rural identity, creates this this effective polarization dynamic that I think actually undermines government effectiveness. Because when I think about government effectiveness, it's the ability for the parties to, in our system, to sort of have some overlap where you can have some compromise. And that doesn't 
exist. And moreover, at the administrative state level, I look at what the transition between the Obama and the Trump administration, and it's like a 180 in policy. And then from the Trump administration to the Biden administration is also a 180 in policy. So as you have this this effective polarization, and this becomes a policy polarization, because each administration wants to do the opposite of what the other administration does, and that creates a, a, a reinforcing dynamic. Whereas the the ability, because you have to form a coalition government in these multi-party coalitions, the government position doesn't change all that much. And even if you have a government that, you know, a coalition that falls apart, you still have a caretaker government, which is just sort of continuing uh, uh, the existence. So I, th- I think the, the back and forth and the shifts in policy are, are much greater at the administrative level, which is actually causing just a lot of people to to leave government jobs, which is undermining the effectiveness of government. Yeah. So, you know, we agree on on the point you made earlier, which is that congressional dysfunction and paralysis inevitably leads to pressures for the president to take action. You know, people want people want things done on a variety of issues. And so there's no question part of the uh, the expansion of presidential power through both the agencies and through executive orders uh, is a reaction to a paralyzed political system in Congress. The difference we have is I think six parties in Congress with 700 members would make that even worse. You think it would make that better. And um, I, I think that's, you know, that's essentially where we do disagree. Right, right. Or at least I want to introduce a note of skepticism before this reform train gets hurtling down the track so that, you know, no right thinking person can actually, you know, be on the other side of uh, all right. Well, of well, well, well. We always need uh, skepticism to to push our thinking. And let me just say, I'm not a contr- I don't think of myself as like a contrarian in general. I mean, I there are political reforms. I, as you know, I do support that. We both, yeah, I think we both support like you know the move toward these top four, top five primary structures with ranked choice voting. I have some skepticism on on that uh, because I, I I think it actually weakens parties further um, um, because it, it makes it even harder for parties to exert any control over who their nominees. Well, are. I, I think I think that I think that's definitely a risk. I, my view on this is that we're in a circumstance in which the traditional primary structure, you know, is playing such a significant role in fueling the extremism uh, with, you know, all these office holders who are mainly worried about being primary from the wings uh, that they you know, try to preempt that by moving there themselves. People won't run for office who are credible. You know, you see these retirements from office because they, they they can't make it through a party primary, even though they have broad appeal to the electorate. So I do think that's a legitimate worry with this shift. But I think that, you know, on balance, I'm, I'm that's an experiment I'm prepared to, you know, endorse and see go forward. Rick Pildes speaking with Lee Drutman on the podcast Politics in Question. It's a fascinating argument about what ails democracy the most. Is it polarization, fragmentation, or both? We'd love to hear from all of you (laughs) what you think about this. (laughs) And we're going to have a lot more to say on our forthcoming episodes uh, about the right and the left and the in-between as we explore the symptoms and impacts of polarization throughout our shows this fall. And our next show is one I'm really looking forward to, Richard. It's going to be just you and me. 
and it's going to hopefully be a model of the kind of productive engagement that we try to exemplify on this podcast where you can have differences of opinion without, you know, going after each other's throats. Of course, you know, it doesn't hurt that we are uh, 50 miles apart working over the, <laughs> working over the digital link. <laughs> yeah, we can't take swigs at each other. <laughs> no, I wish the old days. Um, but the format is cool. You will make the case for what's wrong with your side, liberals and the left. I'll make the argument of what I think is wrong with my side, conservatives and libertarians. And I got to say, Jim, this is one episode where I dearly hope you'll have the better arguments. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. We'll also be back with our new recommendations of things to read, watch, and see. I've got a long list from my summer reading. Great. That's on How Do We Fix It? Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. I'm Richard. And I'm Jim. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.